For a while, Patrick Campbell was too embarrassed to refer to himself as CEO. The company was too small. They didn't generate enough revenue. They weren't funded. They weren't growing fast enough. All things that every bootstrap founder says to him or herself at one time or another. But in the seven years since founding Price Intelligently, now ProfitWell, Campbell has powered through multiple obstacles. Making zero dollars in year one, product market fit issues, two bouts with cancer, on his way to ushering in a movement around the subscription economy. They went from a software product to a consulting model to help sell that software back to a software product in ProfitWell that's really a culmination of everything they've learned about pricing over the last decade. Oh, he's also the CEO. Patrick, if you won't say it, we will. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Lots going on, my man. I feel like I'm talking to Dan Rather, but like behind the scenes, the news isn't on. <laughs> that's right. This is the Snapchat Dan Rather. Yeah, the Snapchat Dan Rather. That's a, yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us about Salt Lake. Uh, we've been spending a few minutes here on the phone chatting, and uh, a couple of days ago we were supposed to record, but you got stuck in traffic out in uh, yeah. out in Utah. So so yeah, tell us what's going on with with Profitwell and Salt Lake and and uh, and the move. Yeah, that's what that's that's what happens when you're moving to a city for the first time. You don't really know all the idiosyncrasies of traffic, but yeah. So we we've been in Boston um, for for those. I know you you have an intro and everything, but um, you know we've been around for about seven years now. We're about eighty people. We have our main office is in uh, Boston, and then we have a um, office of about fifteen folks and growing in Rosario, Argentina. And we were looking for um, kind of like a West Coast presence, um, mainly because I was doing a ton of travel. There's other people doing a ton of travel to the Bay Area and other West Coast, you know, hubs, which is obviously you know part of part of the game. Um, but in addition to that, we also had like a ton of um, know we, we want to continue to grow and Boston you know frankly is super expensive and so we officially uh, well maybe it's not official yet but I guess it's official if I'm saying it uh, we've officially kind of opened a Salt Lake City office um, and I'm moving as part of part of that new office so yeah super exciting um, it's gonna be sales and marketing at first but we're hiring basically for all roles nice I hope you like winter right you're, you're I mean you're you've been you've been in Boston for 10 years so you don't mind you don't mind the cold weather yeah I grew up in Wisconsin too so it's <laughs> yeah. one of those things where oh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm all about it and I actually really love uh love the snow and so I'm excited there's a lot more snow out there than there is in Boston so it should be a good time oh yeah for sure um so and I love the profit well story because um uh, because of just the beginnings of starting off as price intelligently uh which was uh m- was mainly a consulting business yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit semantic, but we, um, we ended up having, um, we actually started with a software product, pure software product. And what we found out was if we didn't add service to the product, it was really hard to sell and really hard for people to use. Uh, and so what we ended up doing was we moved, it was called a tech enabled service. And, and the distinction, at least for me is, um, consulting is kind of, Hey, I, I, I will tailor things directly to you and every project's a little bit different and, and things like that. For us, it's more, Hey, this is what we do. This is our product. And, you know, it's not quite take it or leave it, but it's kind of like, this is how we solve this problem. If you want that problem solved this way, um, you know, we can keep talking. And so it's a a full subscription business, you know, that type of thing. But there's a heavy service element to it as well. Right. Tell me how one gets into the pricing business. Like how did how did price intelligently come to life in those early days? Yeah, it's a great question. So we ended up doing um, how do I put it? Like I, I. my background's in econometrics and math. So I started my career, I worked in US intelligence um, in DC, and then I worked at Google. And um, basically, I was- Where? Uh, What's that second one called? I haven't heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little yeah, startup so called Google. Yeah. That's how I got to Boston, actually. So that was in Cambridge. And, and I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I've always been fascinated with 
um, getting to the why or getting to the who in, right. in the case of like marketing and business. Because, you know, if you get to the who, like who you're selling to and you can figure out what to sell them, et cetera. So when I was, you know, putting models together, you know, to hunt bad guys and gals in at, at, at NSA or when I was trying to hunt money, like this, this fascination with the why or the who and, and kind of these models was, you know, was, was pretty innate and, and, that's me like making it in a nice package soundbite from, you know, seven, eight years ago, but it wasn't, right. it, it wasn't necessarily as obvious to me then, but I ended up leaving Google and I went to another startup here in Boston that, um, did customizable jewelry. So you could customize the gemstone, the, you know, metal, all this okay. type of stuff. And it had some really cool technology. It's kind of like blue Nile. And essentially there was a pricing problem there where they had 1.6 million different SKUs. And that was a pretty big problem. And I started noticing we'd make these changes to pricing either up and up or down. And then we would see these big, like pickups or losses in revenue. And, and long story short, what ended up happening is, is, you know, I was like, Oh, this is a problem. It has a pretty high impact and they gave it to essentially not quite an entry level, but closer to entry level person, you know, at this company, like mm. what in God's name are we doing here? Right. And I didn't really love the culture. And so it was one of those things where I jumped out and I was like, you know, mid twenties and didn't have kids and have a wife, anything like that. Um, still don't have those things. Uh, but it was one of those things where I was like, cool, like I can, I can jump into the fray and, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, start a company. And so that's, that's how it is. I, I, I fell in love with it. I wasn't necessarily like, you know, born with the uh, oh i love pricing and therefore i must do it <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you have like uh drawings from first grade about what you wanted to be when you grow up and is a, a, pr- a pricing guy I don't, I don't think that was probably part of the story that's no, um, funny <laughs> what uh what, what year was that when you founded uh price intelligently so that was so the first official day was june 15th 2012 um, so it's been about seven years now. Um, yeah, so it's been a while. It's been, been a grind and we've gone through a bunch of iterations kind of like you alluded to before. Now we're, you know, more of a software suite. Um, we're not a platform, we're a suite we have, you know, a free subscription financial Mm -hmm. metrics product, um, that integrates beautifully with Databox. Um, you know, and then we have, you know, a number of other products that, you know, we get paid for, you know, one that helps reduce churn and then one, you know, that we kind of alluded to that helps with pricing. Uh, profit well is is uh inside a data box as patrick just alluded to is one of the reports we look at every single week in our weekly meeting so profit well data is always front and center uh awesome. and, and yeah and trusted um so yeah early on you mentioned price intelligently was a software product you then kind of wove in the the service element in order to help sell the product um but talk mm. about how did you net those first 10 customers those first 50 customers like how how did you go about doing yeah. that at that time where now pricing right um the subscription economy the, something that you've helped like coin right uh is is something at the top of mind of every SaaS marketer 2012 was it the same way no because i think that it's 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 always super tough because um you it things happen in these waves right like in our understanding and and now you know, you think about, well, subscriptions, well, of course you're going to use a subscription, right? And you still have some people who are like, oh, subscriptions, you know, they're stupid. I just want to buy it, right? Mm. But, you know, back then it was a little bit less and we weren't necessarily purely focused on subscriptions, like out of the gate. We were, we were a pricing company and we were trying to figure out where our base was. Um, so we did some work with e-commerce companies, some retail companies. And I think that, um, you know, subscriptions was more of a, um, you know, something that we kind of just saw the trend of and right. it wasn't, it was already a trend in place. Like we had nothing, we did not influence the trend at all. It was sure. just one of those things where it was just happening. But those first few customers, I think they really came from, um, in, in, in this was kind of, I think what was really cool is I, I myself didn't know a ton about pricing. You know, I was a capable person who could do research and write. And it was one of those things where it was just like, okay, like what are the questions I have? Right. And what do I think people would want to read and just started blogging, just started doing content. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I didn't consciously do that. We had a, uh, a free HubSpot account, um, which was one of those things where uh, we were just like, well, this is the thing we have. Like, let's do some <laughs> blogging. Right. And then we had a little bit of a list. Um, we sent it out, we sent out blog posts and then we would send out a blog post. And when I say we, like to be super clear, it's just me, like, like just 18 <laughs> hours a day. And, you know, and, and so what I, what we would do or what I would do is basically write a blog post, send it to the list. Um, you know, people would download this ebook and then, you know, 
try to work those leads, that type of thing. And so um, the content was good. And then the other thing that I think worked really well is we um, we reached I reached out to one of the local um, tech reporters. So this guy named Scott Kirstner. Uh, oh, and right, yeah. uh, I I known him a little bit through the previous company who had done some press things with him, and and I basically um, I, I didn't really pitch a story. It was more just like, hey, I want to tell you what I'm doing, and then he wrote an article about it, and that got us you know a few folks to come through the door, and and then the machine just kind of goes where you get some referrals, you get some more people coming in, and it it, it was never easy, and it still doesn't feel easy. It was just one of those things though that. Uh, um, you know, that it was just like grinding it out. You know, there wasn't one thing that all of a sudden was like, sure, oh yeah. my God, a billion customers. It was just like grinding it out. In time, right. Yeah, it yeah. seems like a lot of the stories of the past 10 years are start similar from an organic standpoint. We started blogging, the word of mouth element. Very rarely do you hear, we just ran some ads, man. Like, yeah, we just started yeah, running yeah, ads. Yeah. We dumped a shit ton of money into ads and yeah, yeah, business yeah. grew, um, which I guess would I think in the early days, you don't you don't necessarily know, right? Like, right. I don't know what the ads would be. And I, I probably experimented right. with some ads, but, you know, we're, we're fully, like, customer-funded company. And so it was one of those things where I did, like, we just didn't, like, have, I, at that point, we had no money. I was, I cashed in my 401k. Um, which was very small because I was in my mid twenties. It wasn't like a lot of money, and I was basically, you know, took the tax cut or took the tax hit, and then was living off that um, for a good nine months. And it it was like fourteen thousand dollars, I think. And nine months, fourteen thousand dollars in Boston is is you know not an easy thing to do. And so, yeah, it was one of those things where we we kind of looked at, or I kind of looked at, you know, these free. I just have to put the time in. Um, you know, type marketing channels or marketing tactics were really what was going to make sense. How long did it take you to feel like I have a business here? Or have you reached that point yet? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're... It's <sighs> a really great question. I, I, It was funny because I was just talking to um, someone at Inbound almost about this exact same subject where, you know, I just always, you know, the goals move, right? You know, if you right. started with the goal to create like a million dollar business, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's, you probably almost cap yourself because you're going to make decisions at the hundred thousand dollar mark, et cetera. And so that's why a lot of like, you know, the mantra of tech and startups is like, just keep growing, right? Like that's like growth is life. Right. And so I think that I, I think I finally consciously come around to this business is not going to go to zero. Um, meaning like <laughs> we might be flat, we might right. you know lose or something like that, but we're we're at the point where there's infrastructure enough where it's not going to go to zero. There's enough brand there, there's enough content, et cetera. It's it's subconsciously it's really hard to hold on to that sometimes because you know building a company, I don't care if you're funded or not funded. Like when you're building a company, you're always you know not freaking out, but you're always like you know, worried, you know, there's always this constant worry, like, am I going to do this right? Am I going to get this enough? Is it going to grow the right way? And and what's really ironic about it is we put the goals on ourselves, right. right? Like, so we're like, oh, I'm worried about this goal that I set. And so there's this like constant kind of pressure. And I think subconsciously I'm still like, I'm still like, oh, we can't, we can't spend money here. We can't spend money there. And it's, it's, uh, even though we can, it's just kind of a, it's kind of an interesting feeling, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, there's also, there's just an inherent pressure in this business too, right? Where we were talking about this earlier, 10 X growth and, um, you know, you know, sky high valuations and exits. So yeah, we place it on ourselves, but it's also a product of our environment too. How much of that, um, if at all did, did that, uh, you know, drive any decision-making in those early days? Like, did you feel like you needed to keep up or you needed to hit certain, uh, yeah. you know, revenue marks year one, year two? I think that's a really good question. I, I think that um, it, it's all, it, the external pressure didn't, um, I don't know, because external pressure is normally subconscious, right? So it's hard to say, like, did it affect me? Mm. I definitely felt weird early on. Like, I felt very uncomfortable calling myself a CEO very very early on, just very uncomfortable because, and I would say, oh, I work in tech. And people would be like, well, what do you do? Well, I, you know, pricing software. Like, oh, like, what do you do there? And I, it, like, it took a <laughs> while for me to be like, oh, I run the company or I'm, I started this company. Because I think that the, you know, there's some people who are unabashedly, you know, uh, 
okay with oh my change my LinkedIn profile to one person I'm the greatest CEO ever you know put this really braggy you know thing in my my headline or whatever on LinkedIn for me it was I was almost like well if I'm not a big enough company I feel as if I'm insecure I'm insecure about calling myself a CEO uh, because I don't want people to think that oh I just like changed my LinkedIn profile so I think long story short I guess to answer the question I think that um you know, that, that pressure was very internal, like in, in my own like way. Um, because I was like, all right, let's just, let's get to a million. All right, let's get to 10, you know? And it's just, it's just that constant, like now I'm like, oh, let's get to 25. Right. And every single time that happens, like the feeling is almost exactly the same. Like it gets a little bit more comfortable, but I think I'm wired in a way that it just, it just feels like still like, holy shit, we have to go, we have to go, we have to go. And, and after the service business, the service side uh, of of the business took off. I remember when I was at Litmus, we were a cust- you know we were a customer of yours, yeah. uh, which was a game changer. Um, Litmus was our first customer ever. Oh, uh, oh yeah, we were, I mean we yeah, worked yeah several times. We worked but. multiple times. Yeah, yeah. So we that was our first our first deal ever. I never it knew was that. Sixteen sixteen hundred dollars and. <laughs> It was from Paul directly, and then um, Paul was great. Yeah, to work and then with you, though. He's, he's and then you paid us a lot more money later. But uh, <laughs> but that was our that was our first deal ever. Just fun fun little historical fact. Um, so once once that sort of took off, was the was the uh, I don't want to say plan, um, but what was was the yeah. idea always to um, introduce a software product later on down the road, like you know, which later became ProfitWell that you you've obviously rolled the the whole brand and business into. Um, did you know that you wanted to get back to a software suite? Um, did you know, like, was that always part of your, you know, your plan? Yeah. So we always looked at, again, it goes back to that obsession with, with the problem or the truth behind the problem. Right. And so we always looked at, um, like we, we were like, we want to solve the pricing problem. And then we have this like product that does like these surveys that hooks into our algorithms that then calculates like willingness to pay and stuff like that, right? Well, if you think about solving the problem and getting to the why of the problem, the truth of the problem, that's not necessarily the most elegant solution, right? Because you got to send this data out and data has limitations if you don't have all the data and stuff. So we were like, okay, how do we do better at solving this problem? And what you know, that thought exercise kind of turned up was, oh, well, maybe we should host every pricing page in the world, right? Because we would have enough data and we'd be able to augment things on the website in order to solve the pricing problem. And then we were like, well, uh, that's not all the data we need. We would need like other data. We would need like finance data. We would need, um, you know, up funnel data. And, then it was like, well, and also we don't have the engineering stack right now or the engineering chops to like handle hosting someone's pricing page, right? Because that's like a pretty important page for a lot of people. And so you're like, okay, well, then maybe what we need is, well, what data would we need? And it kind of came into this world of like, how would we automatically quantify, you know, willingness to pay the right pricing people, the right packaging, et cetera. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, we would need this data, this data, this data, financial data, engagement data, attribution data. And we're like, okay, interesting. Well, if we have that data, then all of a sudden there's there's a bigger like vision there where we can go, interesting, there's a bunch of other problems in businesses and then taking a step back, and I know it's a little rambly, but it's 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 truly like kind of how the steps took place over you know months. And then all of a sudden it was like, interesting. So when you spin up a website, you have infrastructure that you basically put your your business on. And then all of that infrastructure supports this canopy of a bunch of different products, everything from Uber to Salesforce, right? But there's these products in the middle of it. One of them is, you know, New Relic, you know, that's application performance monitoring, right? And we were like, what if we were like the New Relic of revenue? And what if we were the New Relic that actually automatically adjusted things to make you more revenue? And what that kind of morphed into was, like, let's go after this, like, nebulous concept that we now call revenue automation, but we didn't really know, like, is that the thing Mm. that we were going to do? But at least was, like, in order to get to this pricing solution, and maybe there's going to be these other things that we're going to do, which we later were like, yep, we're going to do those things. It was, okay, we need to get this data. And then it was like, all right, well, we can provide some value. Let's create this analytics tool that was ProfWell Metrics. 
and then we were intending to to actually sell that um, you know to customers, but then all of a sudden, you know, the market like analytics products, you know, this they're tough. You know, it's really really tough because people don't always use them every day, and people don't always see the value. And then it morphed into well, let's give it away for free and focus on this niche and do X Y Z from there. So that's kind of the the thought process that got us, you know, to to more of why did we build ProfitWell? And then it, you know, morphed into this bigger vision of we want to understand subscription growth better than anyone else on the planet. And then we want to build products that essentially take advantage of that knowledge to take these mechanical parts of growth off your plate. And and price intelligent, you 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 sort of rolled into the ProfitWell brand. So it's it's all ProfitWell is formally price intelligently. Correct? Yep. How? Exactly. So so it's, I mean, it's yeah, a talk about that still. transition. Like, yeah, yeah, it's still a product. Um, yeah, we we were. I was personally nervous uh, about. Um, I essentially was nervous about potentially cannibalizing the very few customers and deal flow that we had mm-hmm. by having this new product. And so it was one of those things where we looked at it and we were like, "Oh crap!" Like you know, we can't really launch this because it's it's too different, like than what we're currently doing. And, you know, we, we think it's going to hurt deal flow. I don't know if that was true back in the day, but we also were like, well, now the vision is more than just pricing. Like, what should we do? So we got the ProfitWell domain. I think we paid like 400 bucks for it. And we were like, all right, let's just launch a separate thing. Because we didn't know what it was going to become. We thought it was going to be something we would sell um, to customers. And we didn't know it was going to end up being the umbrella. But that's why we started separately. And we didn't, tr- we, we kind of treated it not as a, we didn't treat it as a separate company, but we kind of treated it as separate teams. And then over the past number of years, we've been working to like combine everything and hey, is everything under one brand? It's priced intelligently by ProfitWell. It's one of the paid products under ProfitWell, uh, so on and so forth. And it, it sort of helps drive the price intelligently business, right? Because ProfitWell, the, the product yeah. is free. Yep. 100% free. So yeah, we, we include it. We got, you know, tens of thousands of companies using it, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, it's just a good, good overall time. That's a great acquisition tool, right? Uh, lead acquisition yep. tool. Um, and, uh, you've been bootstrapped really since day one. Yep. Uh, a few questions there. The first one, most obvious was, was that a conscious decision from day one? Obviously from day one, you probably would love to have taken some money, but, um, yeah. what was it? A, was it a conscious decision going into starting your own business? Because it's almost, I mean, in, in our business, it's, it's almost when you, when you, when you see somebody that's, that's bootstrapped, it's like, wow. Right. It's, yeah. th- that's a true unicorn. Right. Um, but, uh, so yeah, was it a conscious decision since, since day one? Um, I think I don't I, like, it's, it's a tough question because the short answer is, is like, no, I think that we, for our own insecurities or my own insecurities, you're like, ah, oh, well, like, uh, I, like I, I'm a first time founder. I'd never raised money before. I'd never, you know, I, I, I'd witnessed raising money and I was loosely involved in, in the raising money at the previous business in a like support role for certain aspects of it. But it wasn't like, I, I didn't know what, I didn't know how to do that. And when, when you're faced with, okay, well, I could do work on, doing something or I could go raise money. It just sent, it seemed more natural just to go do the work because I had so many more questions than I had answers. And so it was just one of those things where that, that was kind of the path. And then, and then I was super insecure about like, Oh, no one's going to want to fund this. Like we haven't figured Mm -hmm. this out. We haven't done that. And so, um, yeah, just started rolling, you know, all the profits back into the business, basically kind of like what data boxes you guys have been doing. And so, yeah, long story short, I don't, I don't think it was, um, it wasn't a conscious decision, but it also wasn't like, like I don't have a chip on my shoulder about, you know, raising money or not. We'll probably raise money at some point. It's more of a matter of when rather than if. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think that's, that's something that's super interesting and super important. What do you think some of the trade-offs were early on or, or how was your job different as a founder? I mean, uh, not just the early days when it was just you, but having a team and like, what what do you think some of the trade-offs are? Yeah, I think we're paying for it in a couple of different ways right now. I think that I've, I'm still in the weeds in a lot of different things that I probably right. shouldn't be with an 80-person company. Like, um, you know, I'm not working enough on the business. I'm working too much for the business, as they say. Um, I think that although one of the positive things, and this might just be pure post hoc rationalization, is that I, I think that going – like we didn't go slow, but we definitely probably went slower than just like throwing cash at something, um, which isn't, I mean, it's not exactly what a funded company does, but some funded companies do that. 
I think that if we would, would have gone faster than we did in the early days, we probably would have gone very much in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because we have gone like too fast to do a brick wall where we still kind of like went into the brick wall, but we, we knew it was coming and we could, you know, adjust rather quickly. Um, I think some of the other trade-offs, I mean, I like on a very personal level, like I, um, I made $0 for a year. Then I made like 30 grand for like a year. Then I made like 36, I think, and then 50, like pretty quickly. But like, you know, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, I definitely could be making more money elsewhere and that's fine. And I don't really pay myself, you know, probably what I should just because it's all about putting it back into the business. And so, you know, that was, that was super personal. And, and I think that like m- money, I think was important to me. I think it's less so now because I've found my other drivers, but I think that was like a, that was a pretty big personal kind of sacrifice that I definitely took. And thankfully I think it's worked out at this point, but it's, it's one of those <laughs> things that it's kind of interesting to think about. What are those other drivers? curious um i i would have told you um you know seven years ago that it it was it was more of you know i have a chip on my shoulder because i work really hard and i want to be rewarded for working really hard so i work really hard i want to be paid basically that's the translation right because i I, at google i i'd done this really cool project on the side and, and it was a it wasn't a black swan, but it was definitely an outlier where, you know, we, we rolled that project out across, you know, a major part of the organization. It made Google a sh- like a ton of money. And it was one of those things where I got this like Lucite award and I got a check for five grand, which is really, really cool. But it was one of those things where I was like, yeah, but I made hundreds of millions of dollars. Like and I, <laughs> I got five grand. Right. And, and it, it it was a little bit less that than they were going to shut the project down because that's the beauty of Google. Like there's a billion dollar project that's so much worth better than, you know, the hundred million, hundreds of millions of project. Right. But now what I've, what I've kind of learned is like, I like money, like toys are fun and all that kind of fun stuff. But I am like too obsessed with the problem of just understanding the truth and understanding the why. And I think that's the bigger driver for me is like, I'd like the build. I like the momentum. I like now I have some money. I'm not like rich by any means, but like I'm comfortable and like, I just, I don't spend any money because I, I don't want to, or I don't need to. I'm more obsessed with like, how do I figure out the problem? So yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the driver, which is the actual work, which, um, you know, I think gives me some opinions on some of the, uh, I think there's this, um, I don't know, I did this, it's probably going to get me in trouble. I think there's kind of like a slow work movement that's kind of coming um, where it's like, slow you know, you, you, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, don't have to work, you know, hard, all this other stuff. And I think that's totally fine if you want to work 35, 40 hours a week or 45, 50 hours a week and, you know, you're just working for, you know, the white picket fence and all that kind of fun stuff. I think the problem is, is that some of those people – they believe that that's how it should be. And I, I think that it's totally fine to do that. But I also think that there's people like me where I love my job. And right. there's some weeks I need to rest and I, I sure. you know, I, I push it too far and I burn out in certain ways, but like, I love my job. I love what I do. And, and, and I think it's, I shouldn't have to, you know, apologize for loving what I do. I shouldn't, I shouldn't expect that out of other people necessarily, which I think is perfectly fine. But I think there is a little bit of this movement of like, you know, Oh, like, you don't have to work hard and you can get the Instagram lifestyle, which, you know, is kind of aggravating. I'm a little yeah, ranty. Right that, now, that's, so. a pro- that's the problem with <laughs> we're, we're, far, we're too far left and too far right on everything. It's, it's, uh, yeah, totally. the pendulum swung so far in the direction of hustling and hustle porn and all that kind of stuff. And then you, yeah. it's now, like you said, it, it has swung back to more of uh, work life balance and that kind of thing, which, I just think like, why can't we just do what's, what's best for, for each individual, right? Like, like you said, balance, balance for you is going to mean balance for you means something different than maybe it means to me means something different to someone else. Um, but yeah, now we're just getting ranty, but, uh, but yeah, I I, I think it's it's my gears. Yeah. (laughs) Is this Tim Ferriss's fault? Cause the four hour work week, like, is, is that what started this shit? Um, uh, I think it, I don't know because you know, what's funny about Tim Ferriss is like someone wrote this really good article on it about like, you know, this guy clearly doesn't, he works so many more than four hours, but, oh, but that yeah. was his point. His point was more <laughs> about, you know, you can reduce your work and everything like that. Right. And I think that it, I think the, the biggest, 
not perpetrators, but like the base camp guys, I think are really, really good advocates of this. And I think it's totally fine. They don't want to be a billion dollar company. They're, they're in a really good place. They worked hard. Um, and they, they want to, they want to keep like a a reasonable lifestyle for them and their team. And that's fine. Like, I think it's fine. I I think it's more just like you said, it's like, you know, not judging people, making sure everyone's healthy and safe and those types of things, but not judging people for like the style that they want. Um, I, I, we talk about work life fit a lot. Um, so basically like finding, um, not work-life balance. Cause I think what happens with work-life balance is you start to resent one side or the other because you compartmentalize both of them. And so when work encroaches a little bit too much on life or vice versa, there's some consequence that just builds internal resentment. I think when you find a work-life fit, meaning you have a place that, you know, respects, Hey, do you need a week off every six weeks? Right. Do you need a day off every month? Like, however you like to work and focuses on results and doesn't focus on you know clocking in and clocking out. Like, if you have a company like that, which not everyone can have, which you know I totally recognize, then you know then you know work as much as you want, do your thing. There's a medium post there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> we've 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 had Jason Freed on here from from Basecamp, and I, I think yeah. it's they've worked that that whole that whole mantra into their brand, right? Like the book, they, they publish what, two, yeah. three, four books now um, on working differently. And, uh, um, which I think is great because I, yeah. I think that if you truly think about the majority of people out there, it's, it's corporate grind, right. Or, uh, manufacturing or like it's, it's blue collar or white collar grind. And, and it's like, yeah, we do need to change how people work in those environments because human beings aren't, um, you know, cogs in machines. Right. right? And, and, but I, I think it's, it's almost like my point is a little moot because it's, it's like, we need to change so far that like, they're the ones who need to be kind of radical about like evangelizing those things. And if I'm, uh, you know, a, 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 a victim of the situation or something like that, it's totally fine to kind of fix the hole, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, talk about your, you know, so this has been seven, eight years now. You've been at it for your own business. Talk about what what can you share about maybe your lowest point as a founder? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's um, there been like you know what's really funny is that it's hard to remember the low points because your whole thing as an executive or as a founder, or I would just say like a driven person, is you rationalize why it wasn't so bad. You got over it. You moved on, right? And so um, I've had some, I've had a couple of lifetime movies worth of insanity <laughs> happen. I think um, one that, I, that I've talked publicly about it quite a few times is, um, uh, so I, I've had cancer twice now. Um, and thankfully, I, I've had, I call it the wussy form of, of cancer because they, they were like very early stage both times. They were um, types of cancers that had really, really high survival rates. Um, I had once when I was at Google, and the, the joke I always say is if, if you ever have to get sick, go work at Google. It was, it was an amazing, this is, this is like, you know, speaking of like great places to work or how to work, like it was amazing. My manager came to me and was like, you know, you can just like go away for three months and we'll pay you. And I was like, what? Like, it was like, it was insane. Um, so, you know, went through that was, that one was like surgery, chemo, that type of thing. And, and that was a really good supportive environment. And then, um, you know, I, yeah, the second time happened a couple years um, into ProfitWell, and that was that was a lot more emotionally harder because when when you have when you have a sickness like that, um, or and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but I would argue that when you have something that is is somewhat traumatic, even if it isn't very dramatic um, in your life, uh, you. It, it's more the the mind screwery. Um, I would use a different word, but I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Um, it's oh, more sure. the mind sure, uh, yeah. screwery <laughs> or, or fuckery of your um, of of your emotions than it is anything. Because it was it was I just got over I you know I was a couple a, I think it was a couple months at that point from official remission because it's like a five year burn from from the first time, and all of a sudden. Um, you know, I had accomplished it. I was like, great, my life is going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden my doctor is like, mm, nope, you know, psych, you know, this is, this is actually, and I'm building a company and I think we were like 15, 20 people at that point. So it's like very, very fragile. It's not quite as fragile as day one, but it's still super fragile. And like, I did, I wasn't in the best relationship, um, which was super, super tough. 
Um, there was just there was just a lot, um, and so I think that that helped. I mean, in, in hindsight, that helped that made it you know really resilient. Like I, I can handle those emotions really really well now because um, those emotions like pop up in multiple different ways when you're building a company. Mm-hmm. But for me, that that was that was a pretty low point, and and I you know. I always deal with these things in like a founder where you're just like reactive and you're like, all right, this is a crisis. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make sure everyone else is okay. But that has a little bit of a remnant effect because eventually like the chicken comes home to roost and, and you have to deal with those emotions. And so it's, it's, it's super tough. Um, but other, I mean, there, there's a bunch of other like things just in terms of, you know, we've had bad customer situations, bad product situations. Um, you know, I've, I've had, you know, I got out of a seven year relationship with the company. It wasn't because of the company, but I think the company exposed, you know, some, some definite problems with the relationship, but yeah, so it's been, it's been a, like I said, a couple of lifetime movies of, of building a company. How do, how do you like, how did you work through those things? I mean, especially like personal health, right? Um, how do you, how do you still have the, really the going through that, the time, the, the, the yeah. drive to work on the business, I, w- I would assume you had a good support system professionally as well that, that was helping you through those things. Um, I don't know if I did, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I, don't, I don't know. Like, like I Google, absolutely. But it, it was a little bit more. I was there for like six or 18 months. So it wasn't like it wasn't like I had deep seated like it was just a really good culture there. I think that, um, you know, I, I had some really bad, I had a really bad founding, um, like story. Uh, I had these two part-time co-founders and, 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 and no one just to kind of skip to the end a little bit. No one, no one is like to blame. Right. But it's a situation that if I would have done it over again, um, I would hope that we would all have done it differently um, because we were all first time founders. We didn't know like how to hedge things, founder vesting, all these different pieces. And basically um, it was just one of those things where I, I didn't, I had gotten into such a place emotionally with these two people that it was very, very difficult to look at to them as um, partners, and it was it was more of adversaries or like frenemies almost, I guess, because it, it, like I, they were still providing advice and, and things like that, but they were causing more problems, or at least in my perception, causing more problems than you know were helping with, right? And so I didn't have a really good support network there. I had um, this guy named Peter Zotto, who's you know my my brother in arms essentially, and so he was a really good support person. And then Facundo is our CPO; it's the same thing. And fortunately, these two guys, like you know, we're all kind of a little bit emotionally broken. You know, we're broken toys, if you will, and so we all kind of were able to to be that support system. But I think that um, that that's a really big thing of you know I think when you're founding a company or you're even just you know executive at the ambition is is like have a support system but I think that you really need to get to the why because the why of why you're doing this or the why of why you're going forward that's the thing that's going to keep you going because those support systems those types of things those are those are not going to work all the time um, and and sometimes they're going to work in, in the the worst direction and so I think for me as I'm going through this it's more it's more like, well, no, I, I, I have to figure this out. Like I have to figure out the inevitability. Well, I, well, I have to do this. Well, I have to go like take care of that blog post because well, I have to get that done so that we get more leads so that we can build the company so that we can figure out this problem and, you know, have the solution. And I think that like, we don't talk enough about that when we're, um, you know, in college or in high school about, you know, finding your purpose on some level, or we try to replace certain things with that finding that purpose. And I think that that's, that's a really important thing. And, and you get so many people and you see this, this is what a midlife crisis is, right? Where you get so many people who are mm-hmm. like, what did I just do for the last 20 years? And it's like, well, why were you doing it if you didn't think you should do it? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's a, that's a big thing. I think that purpose, you know, that purpose driven, you know, life, which I think is a book. Uh, I think it's about, I don't, it's, it's a book. I don't know if it's a book about what I'm talking about, but that's, that's a really, really big thing that, you know, has helped me a lot. Well, it, it shows in, in the brand and the content that, that you and, and the profit well team put out. It's so well thought out. You could tell there's passion behind it. You could tell there's a, there's a, it, it's more than just a, a, a business model. It's there, there's, there's definitely a passion. Um, and I, I feel like it comes through in the brand a lot. And, You've, uh, 
you've specifically like the, the company has made big bets in, in content, right. Um, from podcasts to shows to, uh, I mean, gosh, newsletters. I mean, just this week you announced like a, basically a media network. Um, so, so talk about your commitment to these things. Um, uh, why do they work? And, uh, yeah, just, just, just talk about the overall direction on, on, on how you, how you came to prioritize original content programming and the way yeah. that ProfitWall has when so few other companies have, have done that. Yeah, I think it's, it really comes down to we've, it, it, it is like a bootstrap, like leverage mentality. I think we, we, we like to seek leverage, like wherever we can find it. Um, in, in terms of like putting the right amount of dollars in to get the right amount of dollars out. And I think that, um, that's kind of where content first started. We, we rationalized or realized, depending on how you look at it, oh, this is really interesting. This content continues to live on and people share it and it produces leads. That's cool. Like, let's keep doing stuff like that. Right. And then, um, we started looking at, you know, as we were building content, like for the first, I think, five years, I was the only marketer at the company. Um, we had we had a couple of false starts with some folks. We had some like outsourcing here and there, some little sprints here and there. But I was like the only one like blogging. I was the only one doing a lot of this stuff. And then what ended up happening is we were like, all right, well, we need to, you know, we need to go after it. We need to like go for broke. And then it was like, okay, well, well, what's going to be our strategy? What's going to be our vision for it? And then that led to really just kind of studying what was going on in the content space and realizing that, um, you know, content marketing, it's, it's, it's going to work for a long time, but the best people in the world at, you know, producing content and getting clicks and eyes and things like that are media companies. They're the worst at monetizing that traffic, but turns out software companies are pretty good at monetizing traffic. And so, uh, long story short, and there, there's a bunch of data I can get into, but there, there was a bunch of data that got to that conclusion and we were like, all right, well, why don't we launch a media network? Like, what would that look like? And then for the past like two years, we've been, we thought this was going to take like three months to launch. We we're like, yeah, we'll get this <laughs> up and running. It's going to be great. You know, it wouldn't be like big or anything like that. But then we we're looking at, it, we we're like, oh, well, in order for us to do this, what would we? What are like the constraints? Well, we have to figure out how to create like a series and do it efficiently. We can't just, you know, go throw twenty-five people at this and you know hope it works out. And then after that, it was like, well, how do we do a daily show? And that's really what we've been working on a lot this year. Um, we launched it for the first quarter of the year, ninety episodes or so, and then we um, now we we just relaunched it, you know, yesterday. And so, what yeah, show was that? Sure. Uh, it's called Recur Now. It's basically just a mm-hmm. daily news show on, yep. on the subscription world. Um, so yeah, long story short, it just again, it was like seeking that leverage and. Um, you know, and now there's other people doing this. There's people with bigger budgets and that's okay. And it's just, it's, it's just understanding, you know, where that growth comes from and then, you know, using that knowledge to, to build stuff out. Right. You have trade-offs, uh, you have protect the hustle, pricing page, teardown. Uh, you had subscription 60 was a thing for a while. I, I haven't, yep. That's I've, recur now. Now. That, okay. So that's, it's that's like relaunched now. basically. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are just a few, but, um, how big, how big is the, the team that, uh, is is committed to creating, mixing, producing this content. Yeah, so we now have one, two. Did you three. just hire? Didn't you say you hired like a reporter recently? Like you're you're we going all in reporters. on the yeah. yeah. We hired two, two reporters. reporters. Um, one ran, one was like an editor and ran like publication for a news a news like magazine and then ran a like actually started a radio station. Um, it was a pretty successful radio station in Salt Lake area. And then, um, one was a reporter for a affiliate down in Connecticut. So, um, so it's three, four, we just hired another four, five, six, about six, about seven basically. Um, and if you think about it, it's like, it's, it, it, it's a product, right? So we're basically supporting this product, but this product, it, it's, it's pretty hedged in the sense mm-hmm. that worst case scenario, we just produce really good content. Right. Like, like that's the worst case scenario. We just build really good content and then that gets us leads and brand and all that kind of fun stuff. What's the team look like? So you have a video, video guy is, is the, is is the content mixed and, and edited and everything in house. So yeah, everything's done in house at this point. We have a bunch of like outsourced VAs and contractors Mm -hmm. for a bunch of different things, but we have a creative producer, 
with uh, associate creative producer. So they do a lot of other stuff for all of our ads and stuff like that as well. Um, they also do all of our event production. We do all of our event production in house as well because we we host a conference each year, and then we have a bunch of um, you know different events that we host throughout the year. Then we have um, uh, a show producer which is like basically someone who is the media side of a show um, and does a lot of the editing and chopping that stuff up as well. And then an associate show producer who's, you know, basically just a, a junior version of that person. And then we have three writers basically um, who are either hosts or talent um, or are writing like the content. And that includes SEO content. There's just a lot of different pieces of content right. that, that we put out. And, and the way we look at it is like, okay, so we want to do X and we're like, okay, um, and then we were like, well, how do we produce as much quality content as possible? And that was kind of the forcing function. And we we're like, all right, well, we can do this type of content. We can do this type of content. We can't let the quality bar go this, this low. We also want some really, really high quality bar. So it, it just, it, it just was a forcing function of, of wrapping our minds around what we're trying to do. Right. How much of the content are you going to be? Cause I know you've, you've hosted, you host a lot of this content. Um, I'm, I'm sure you have plans for a lot of new shows. Uh, how how involved in the actual as a talent in the in the content do you want to be going forward? Um, I'm trying to reduce my involvement <laughs> <laughs> only because I don't want it to be like the Patrick show. Sure. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah. Um, I want it to be a hey, we are producing. You know, it it is a network, right? Um, and and I want I want it to be a network. Um, and so I think that long story short, um, just trying to basically produce like that network overall. And that's mm -hmm. what that means. Like a forcing function is okay. Like literally yesterday we talked about, all right, so pricing page teardown, I am no longer going to be in that show. So we did a bunch of screen tests with different people in the office and there's, there's inevitably going to be someone who is going to be better at me, which is great, but it'll take a little bit of time because I'm fairly quick on my feet with the stuff I've been doing for seven years. So right. maybe it'll take a little bit longer to shoot, but that's totally fine given that I'm going to be out of it so that I can be in another show or I can go work on, you know, this other thing or I can be out of this completely. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how, how we've been thinking about her. That's kind of how we've been ultimately focused on things. So let's go back the past 12 months. What would you say the three biggest decisions or projects that have mm. had the biggest impact on growth over that time? Over the past three months? Over No, the last 12 months. 12 months. Um, hmm. <laughs> That's a great question. It's super tough. I think the last 12 months have been... It's been pretty chaotic because we really upped the stakes um, in terms of what we were trying to go after. I think in the last 12 months, uh, ABM has been a really big thing for us. So we do, the way I like to describe our ABM efforts is just really, really good um, traditional BDR outreach. Um, so we try to do really, really well at that. So we do custom videos per lead. We do a bunch of other things that are, are just like the standard stuff. We just try to do it really, really well. Um, and it just creates a really good experience. And then we also, um, so that worked really well. I think the, the content stuff has, has worked really well. Um, the one, maybe one sub thing, cause we talked about that a little while. I'm doing a partner show, um, with Heaton that's trade-offs. Um, yeah. that actually worked really well and we, we worked out a lot of kinks and so we want to like do partner shows with other brands and some of right. our integration partners, you know, we're working on a, um, an integration show with Chargeify actually, um, which is, uh, announced or we just announced an integration with them and that'll be a first experiment just to kind of see how that goes. Nice. And what about three, three projects or decisions if you knew what you know now? Over the last 12 months, maybe you would do a little bit differently. And just three, because I know you have yeah. a tendency to be hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Um, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm glad others recognize that. Uh, I <laughs> We messed up hiring this year. So we, uh, in like January, February, we ended up, um, we hired our first full-time recruiter in February. And she's fantastic and amazing, but we messed up the prioritization of her hiring. Um, so basically what we ended up doing is we we deprioritize hiring net new sales folks. And given the goals that we were going after, net new sales folks were like the first thing that we should have hired, right? And th this was just based on like being 
you know, overly, uh, optimistic and things like that. And so, um, yeah, that we, we've hired like 40 people this year. And so I think that we probably just would have changed how we hired those folks. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing, um, we're not very good at hiring, um, senior talent. Um, mainly because I think that we don't spend enough time trying to find good senior talent. Mm -hmm. We kind of just take, you know, whoever comes a little bit and we don't hire everyone, but we, we basically, um, we don't vet as well as we should. Um, but also I think that it's just one of those things where, um, we try to develop too many people from within. And I think that that, you know, makes it a lot more complicated. And what would you say is, is probably your most ambitious or challenging goal over the next, you know, six to 12 months. I mean, you just launched the media network. So that, that's, uh, that could be in there. Well, what should we look uh, out not for? launched yet for officially. Problem. It was pre-launch. So <laughs> pre-launch actual thing. I think, um, uh, it's super tough. I think that the, the, probably the most challenging thing in the next 12 months is we are starting to go after active churn with retain right now. So for those of you who don't know, retain it's a product you plug right into your billing system and, and it automatically um, reduces your credit card failures, which is a pretty big portion of your churn. Uh, and so what we're doing is basically, um, we're going to start going after active churn, meaning people who actively cancel, um, through engagement, you know, and a couple of other things that, that we're, we're planning. Um, it's a pretty ambitious thing cause we're trying to basically automate, um, churn reduction and we're not going to be able to automate the churn reduction of, Hey, your product's not good or stuff like that, but we're going to be able to optimize like the margins of opportunity. Um, and that's a pretty big, it's a pretty big lofty problem to go after. Cause if you think about it, you have to be able to identify the right people, then, you know, have the right messaging depending on the situation in order to, you know, boost that retention. So that's a really big thing. And then the, the other big thing is bringing price intelligently into profit well. So creating, um, um, a product that basically is similar to retain, but for pricing, which is something that we're working on as well. And so those are some pretty crazy things. And, um, if we can do one of those and all of our goals on the marketing side, uh, I think it'll be very, very good. <laughs> That's exciting, man. Patrick, as always, man, you're, you're super transparent and honest and, and, uh, Absolutely, it, it was, it was great to have you on here to, to not only hear the story about, Price intelligent and profit well, but but you as as a founder and, and working through this stuff, which Thanks, is, man. I think, uh, a lot easier for people to identify with than uh, maybe some of the the big wins that are often celebrated. Right? There's there's yeah. a lot of uh, there's a lot of grunt work and uh, things to work through on the personal side too. And you've always been super gracious uh, sharing that stuff. So it was great to have you on, man. Finally, right? Totally, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We Thank you for your patience getting it scheduled. I, I always get around to it, but sometimes I, I have to move stuff. So, uh, but thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I love, I love what you guys are doing. I think that you're, to me, you guys are doing a lot of things just like the right way or what I would consider is the right way. And so I, I, I just really admire that as well. So thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise, man. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.